You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to No Pressure, a podcast for creatives, freelancers, artists and ambitious souls. I'm Matt Humphrey, photographer and founder of Curtain Call. And in this episode, I'm so honoured to be talking to none other than the actor and star of the World War I masterpiece 1917, George Mackay. This podcast is all about artists, freelancers, creatives and creators like George. The people that make things happen, who are up against it every day and work tirelessly behind the scenes and in George's case, in front of the camera too. This podcast was recorded at the tail end of the first UK lockdown in the summer of 2020. George and I were able to chat just before he was due to start filming a new project over the summer. We've been trying to arrange this for months, to be honest, so way before the pandemic, and I'm so pleased we were able to finally have this time. George understands productions. He understands the huge collaborative effort that goes into a film or a stage play. And that's why I wanted to invite him onto No Pressure. He's grown up around productions with parents who worked in the business and he himself has been filming from a young age. As ever, it was an enormous pleasure to catch up with George, albeit over Zoom, and spend some time with him talking about his career and impressive collaborations. We recorded this over Zoom, but it really did feel like we were in the same room. Working with Sam Mendes, advice for young actors, work-life balance, playing in a punk band are just a few of the things we covered. We'll be releasing the full video of this interview in due course, so stay posted for that on our social media channels where you can follow us on at Curtain Call. If this is your first listen and you like it, please rate and review on whichever service you're listening to this on. And if you didn't like it, well, thanks for listening anyway, and peace be with you. Without further ado, here is George Mackay. Oh, George, well, listen, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the No Pressure podcast. It's really great to have you on here. Thank you, mate. No, thank you for having me. So how are you, first of all? It's probably been about a week or so since we last spoke, I think, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I think as, as we talked about my, um, you know, obviously we're in, in the lockdown or, you know, this 
the kind of this it's opening up now but yeah um, where i've been doing it is with my family and we're lucky enough to have a bit you know a bit of space we've got a garden and things so we're in a good position a very good position for sort of to be getting through this so so you know things are all good but it's funny it's like we're now kind of like everyone it's the midst of changes like you know some members of the household have gone back to work and so it's kind of everyone's it's sort of breaking up it's not just that thing of like we're all inside all the time um the world and our little bubble of the world is starting to kind of like break open a wee bit so but but you know but things are things are good oh good yeah you've been keeping quite busy as well yourself haven't you it's it's a bit it's kind of like a weird time isn't it like going at a slower pace but at the same time really kind of prioritizing things that are important yeah yeah i think it's um yeah it's just given us it's given us time to to stop a wee bit and it's kind of and it's and in that stop it it makes you think about and realize the things that are most important to you and it also i think sometimes the busyness of things can make you procrastinate about about stuff you know there's always a reason not to do something and it's and it's so, so in a way it kind of the things that you i have wound up making time for or doing here be it personal or creative or whatever it's actually you you know it sort of distills the things that you really want to do because some of the things which i thought i've been always been saying you know that i must try kind of thing that suddenly i've got all the time to do it and it's not it's not been as important and some of the things which i have gone i really want time to do this that's what i've been doing over this time so it's kind of um yeah it, it that sort of space where you've you sort of become your own boss for a minute um which you know which you kind of always are to an extent but like particularly um you know distills what's what you really want to to do in in the work that's available in terms of work as well as you know as well as family and people you know the people that you miss and the people that you're with yeah of course and, and i think like especially when you're as busy as you seem to have been over the last few years this this time away from sets or away away from a stage is probably quite important for you to kind of uh, regenerate and reboost and kind of refocus on stuff i imagine yeah it's a bit of, it's a bit of both it's what's funny in terms of like i feel um it there's there's been a new kind of busy this last year particularly with you know the the, the jobs i've been involved in and and i guess your my, my role within those those films and you know like, like this film 1917 particularly it's sort of it's it's the biggest film i've ever been a part of and and therefore also the, you know, the, not expectation, but just, you know, part of the job then is the promotional side of it. And that's extended with, you know, the wonderful, wonderfully warmth reception it got. But what's funny is, is kind of, again, it's sort of like teaching me about perspective of perspective I've had of other people as well. And also people's perception of, of you some of the time is that you appear to be very busy because the, you know, the world is receiving what you've done, but actually it's the longest time that I've not been acting in a long time because it's been half a year of press and then obviously the lockdown. And so you kind of go, well, I haven't, I haven't been on set for a year now. And where the 10 years before that I've been blessed to kind of work consistently. And so it's sort of in some, but then in a, in a way that's when you're perceived to be most busy is, is when you're doing the promotional side, which puts you in front of folk when, you know, when actually you're not doing the thing that you're talking about, <laughs> you're just talking yeah. about. It. So it's a kind of, it's a funny, it's a funny, so there's part of me that's really looking forward to, you know, touch wood, it all goes ahead. But there's a, um, a project that I'm going to after this, and that I was rehearsing before, before we, um, before the lockdown happened. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 funny, but it has been busy. But you're right, you're right. There are, um, 
it is nice to just to, to have this concentrated time of home and, and stillness. And it allows you to be a bit more still with the world around you still. Like I, I always feel a little bit, I think I feel influenced by my environment. So even if, you know, when you're, when you're in the city and, and when you're around people, you know, good and bad, you sort of pick up on their, their energy. And when, so, so when you're around people who are moving quickly all of the time, you kind of, you feel your pace quickening. You, you want to, you know, it's like in a bike race or something, they have the pacemaker yeah. out in front and everyone's just, you know, without thinking, keeps pace with that. Um, without sort of kind of considering if they could go faster or if they need to go slower or whatever. And now we don't have that pacemaker. Everyone's, everyone's stopped. So it allows you to kind of slow your pace a wee bit too. Yeah, I think it's quite healthy and quite positive, to be honest. Um, but it's weird, you know, it's strange, I guess, what you were talking about in terms of the the perception of how busy you are, or not necessarily how busy you are, but what you're doing. Because mm. there's kind of like a natural delay, isn't there, with filmmaking mm. um, that obviously you don't get when you're working on stage on a, on a, on a, you know, in a theatre, that yeah. when you're working on it, it's live, it's happening right there and then. Yeah. Whereas with a with a film, you know, you work on it and then you kind of leave it for a few months, and then there's a period when it comes back. How how do you? Is is there one process or another that you prefer or that you like, or do you take different things from each one? I think I'm just just learning as I go. Really, mm. I think what what I love the differences between you know broadly film and theatre is is what what I love about them. If you know what I mean, those those differences. I love the fact that when you do a play, you do it start to finish and you do it in two hours or whatever it is. And I love the the pragmatism that comes with starting at 7.30 and, you know, no matter, you know, whether you feel in the zone or not in the zone or whatever, like it just, there's a thing that's bigger than you, like the kind of the starting gun is, is bigger than you and it just happens then and it happens the way it happens. And it is so immediate. And also the, obviously the immediate reaction with a, with an audience and that excitement. Um, and then, but then by the same token, what I love about film is that the whole process is kind of like the four weeks of rehearsal you might get in a play where you, you make it in these incremental, you know, you take, you take a whole day to get 30 seconds of footage, you know, literally you film it from every different angle. You try it differently on every time you do it in every different angle, then it's, you know, then that's just, a, that's just a filming process. And then if you were to include the, the, the amount of days that it takes for the editor to make its first, his, you know, his or her first edit, and then the director to, um, to come and, and, and give their notes and then they collaborate on that. And then it changes when the music goes in, you think, my God, you know, for that 45 seconds of, of finished film, you might've put in two weeks of work. And then if you consider the set being built, that's, you know, that might've taken months for, you know, and I just, I kind of love the, sort of ridiculousness almost that sort of that kind of commitment to a moment but then it's this in a way you know a commitment to a moment that's the same thing with theatre and so they sometimes they cross over and yeah it's it's quite interesting that you use that example because I was actually thinking about and you've already mentioned 1917 which is just just an incredible accomplishment and, and you know congratulations again for that because I, I think it's, it's a fantastic film what struck me actually was actually how potentially correct me if i'm wrong on this how different the process probably was to make that film and to make say five minutes of a sequence which actually was a live five minutes because you were doing the this kind of live scene how yeah. did was there a bit of a crossover do you you know in terms of um film and theater and uh, and that process for you with that particular film? 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, um, well, because you will be going at, yeah, first and foremost, we just do more extended takes and we do those takes and we'd only do it one way. You know, we'd, we, we wouldn't film it front then we'd film it back then we'd film it side. We'd just spend all day doing that same shot, which might spin 360 and kind of do all, lots of, you know, might be viewed at different angles, so to speak, but we would do one section, you know, a day broadly. But to get to that final choreography that was that section, which was the entire film, we rehearsed for months, kind of incrementally shaving it away because there was the thing with, that Sam said is that, you know, usually with a film different to a play is you kind of throw it all in the melting pot and then you kind of discover the rhythm or create, craft the rhythm afterwards. And you do all of that, it's like a big lump of wood and you kind of carve it away to get the shape of whatever you want at the end. Mm. Where, because the camera never, seemingly never cuts, and the camera's always on the move and there's nowhere to, there's places to hide the stitching points between shots, but there's nowhere to hide a change in rhythm or anything that we had to discuss. We had to design the rhythm like you would in an edit before we even came to shooting because the rhythm, emotional rhythm of a scene when we're, the characters are on the move dictates the length of the set. And um, so that, that kind of rehearsal process in ways was like a, a play and that, you know, the way that Sam would talk about finding rhythm and, and you know, and, and rhythm being an incredible part of the process. Um, and there was also that thing I was just saying, there was a kind of unequivocal nature of you just do it again and again. And it's like that. Sometimes I think with film, not always, but sometimes the process may be, and I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing, but sometimes it can be a little bit, um, uh, when misused, it can become indulgent. That thing of this understanding that you capture a moment, and so therefore you never get to that moment before you know beforehand, and that you're given as much space and time as you need to be in that zone to find that moment, and that, that's beautiful. But but there is an element of kind of I like about theatre. It doesn't matter if you got a cold. Doesn't matter if you know you had a you know you've had an argument before you got to the theatre, or you've had the best news ever, or you've had a you know good day, a bad day. Broadly there's that sort of old, the show must go on. Like it, you know, it starts when it starts and you've got to, you've got to, you've got to convince everyone else of that world from that point on. And that was the same thing each take. We'd go again and again and would rehearse it. And I said to Sam one time, I, was like, I feel like I'm kind of going a bit dry with some of this scene. And he very nicely said, well, that's your job. <laughs> you've got to, you know, that you've got to make it fresh. You've got to find freshness. And, and that sort of pragmatism um, with that kind of, uh, what's that? What's the phrase? I don't know if nuts and bolts is, isn't right, but that kind of well, belt and braces. I don't, I'm thinking yeah, of a, yeah. like a football manager here, but like that sort of down to earth, it just has to get done aspect is something that I think is very true of theatre, as well as, you know, which is what I love about it because it's got all the magic, it's got all the immediacy and the romance, but it also has that thing that is just like, no, it starts and you do it because there's people watching and you can't stop and go. Like, and that's, that's part of the magic in itself. Which, which 1917 had. Absolutely. I imagine with Sam's background in theatre, that was a huge part of it as well, like his process. Mm -hmm. um, what a privilege to have worked with him and the rest of the whole creative team on, on that production. Um, did it strike you that maybe it would be an exciting thing for you to collaborate on a theatre production with him as well? Oh my God. Yeah. I would, I would love, you know, I would love to, I mean, I think that's, that's in his hands, but I would, you know, I would, I would do anything to work with Sam again. I think it was, um, he's, he's a real master. He's a real master in, he's a very, um, he's a very sensitive, empathetic man. 
um, very full of feeling, um, but very, but then I think what's amazing is that as well as being that sensitive and that human, he has the ability, he has a sort of under a kind of architectural understanding of those feelings of how you put things together to create those feelings for other people. You know, that even that thing of like, if you see that certain things and if you see kind of, there was one shot in particular where my character comes around the door and gets a surprise. And it was like the, the order with which you see the things in the shot has such a bearing on the, whether you, the surprise. And I don't just mean that like you, you know, you, if you see the thing too early, but you kind of have to see the person, see it, see the thing and then have the thing that shocks him. If you're not, I, I'm not explaining it right, but he, he had the kind of this mathematic understanding of how to create a feeling and an emotion in, you know, in stage and in film. Um, I think probably because he's such a sensitive um, human man, you know, in, in life. Mm. Um, but it was, but that was amazing to watch the sort of architecture of, yeah, no, if you put this there, if, rather than put that there, that will, you, that will make people feel it a lot more. Yeah, no doubt. He's a masterful storyteller. Uh, absolutely craftsman um you know i've been lucky enough to work on a on a, on a couple of shows behind the scenes in theater with him as well and it's great to be around that kind of energy and i imagine uh, as a project you would have kind of taken away something probably quite a lot from this one mm. you know one film project do you find that you kind of you take different things from different projects and take them yeah. forward into the next one as well yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's a mixture of kind of life lessons. Um, yeah, there are a lot of like life lessons wound up in in nineteen seventeen as well, um, as well as as well as creative. And I think that you know the beauty of what we get to do and um, is that there's a real. I think there is with all things, but especially with I guess creative endeavors, you get that there's a um, there's a very tangible kind of through line into into sometimes the process and then applying that sort of understanding to certain aspects of, of life as well, you know, cause that's what, that's the point of the stories is to try and help, you know, you understand things and other people understand things and, and, the, and the doing of that helps you or it helps me know more about myself. So sometimes it will be, you'll get, particularly you'll get a kind of craft lesson. Sometimes you might get a life lesson. Um, because I think, again, it's just one thing as well, like with acting as well, is, is, is trying to understand another person's way of thinking. Um, and that, that, that kind of, that opens up so much when you suddenly, and, and also understanding, I'm kind of learning more and more that a big part of, it's, it's that I've been fascinated with the whole nature, nature nurture thing of like, what is, what is at someone's core? What is at all of ours? Is there a thing that unifies all of our cores? Or is, you know, or is each person's core completely their own? And also then how does their environment shape that? Like if you had exactly the same sorts of chromosomes and chemicals in your body as you, but you were born five years later in a different part of the UK, like how different would you be? Or a different country. Like imagine if you were born exactly as you were. In different faith, different, diff you know, different everything, different like, yeah, like everything yeah your, your your geography your culture your spirituality like it's kind of that all plays into sort of what's brought out of what was always there wherever you're from i th i think and, and kind of i guess trying to suss that out in other people kind of makes me do that in myself because then you sort of look at certain things in yourself and go what's relevant here and 
Or you just kind of go, oh my God, I can't, in sort of thinking how they'd think, you go, oh, I'd never thought of that. Or, or I actually think in exactly the same way, but I just do it in a different context. And that means something completely different. You know, that's that, that also interesting. It's the same, a similar feeling put in a different direction can, can you know, the, the, like can mean so much, can, can mean a completely different thing, obviously. Um, so, um, but yeah, so sorry, but going back to your question, I think, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, you learn a lot with every jump and yeah. try and learn a lot from kind of every interaction, every relationship, every night out, every kind of audition, every whatever it is, just try and keep, you know, keep learning stuff. Well, it's great that you feel like that because obviously as well as Sam said, I mean, that's your job, isn't it? To kind of feel into how people construct the, their own narrative and tell their story, I guess. Um, but it was, it was quite, it was really it was re really great to see you in another war film because obviously like the first war film that you worked on, I believe, apart from maybe Defiance was, was Private Peaceful. That's where we met. When we met. Yeah. 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 That was, that was, it was funny. I was in, I think I told you I was in Claydon recently, you know, just outside of Ipswich where we, where we shot it and it was so full of memories. And I feel like, I feel kind of similarly about those about those two projects in a way because I think I've, they they were both moments where at the time I felt like I really understood, you know, not not completely this the, the context wasn't equivalent like kind of literally equivalent, but I just sort of felt at the core a real connection with both those characters who are playing Tomo Peaceful, you know, and Private Peaceful and and things like you know just uh, his his adoration of his older brother and like that, but also that kind of feeling like you know that that thing of i can never i can never be better than that and and the sort of like the kind of comfort in in knowing your place and the sort of love of someone that you idolize but then the heartbreak of having them kind of that mean that they have the, the other thing that you love in your life is you know in the story there's charlie's you know his love for molly and then obviously Molly ends up with Charlie and Tomo's in love with Molly. Like it's, I remember thinking that, you know, friends at school of just that, that <laughs> idolizing my friends, just like you're thinking that they are the absolute bee's knees, but then they go out with someone that you're in love with and you're like, Oh no. And I, like, you know, there's that sort of beautiful, painful thing of like, at least it's you, at least it's you too. I'm so glad it's you too, but I'm also heartbroken that it's not me. You know, and I remember thinking like, I get that. And I, I get, I get Tom. I'm like, I, I know this, he's just put different clothes on him. And I know, I know sort of a lot of why this guy needs to do his own thing because obviously, you know, that's, that's sort of in the story why Tom goes off to war is I think he goes, well, there's nothing, there's nothing here for me. So I'm going to try and prove myself in another arena. I need to like, I know this world and I know that I can't have what I want here. So not in a sort of ugly, ambitious sense, but I guess I'm going to go off on this adventure here. And I felt that, you know, I felt feelings like that a lot. And, and similarly with Plague Schofield in 1917, when the role came about, it was off the back of an experience, which was, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all acting, you know, it's, it's I've kind of got to have a reality check that, what I was doing was, you know, pretend, but in kind of throwing yourself at it, this on this this film previous that was came about before 1917, it was at least for me the most exhausting, sort of emotionally and physically, mm. most one of the most exhausting experiences I've ever had. And kind of by the end of it, going all I have is, you know, I I know the energy that I need to to com 
to do the work of, you know, I've got the energy that, that I can, I can be here and I want to go home, but I can't go home yet. Cause if I unravel, I won't be able to be here. And I know I need to be here for a little while longer because here's where I'm at. And that sort of, you know, when I auditioned for 1917, there was a scene that was a, an equivalent sentiment was, was underneath that of this, this Schofield his you know, his everything is his home and, and his, and that's, that's, that's who he is, is his, is his family. And, and he's in this situation where he's kind of like, he's, he's been through so many scares and been so brutalized where he's, where he's at. He kind of thinks, well, I can just be here because if I, if I go emotionally, if I leave this spot, I'll never come back. And then, and that's going to make me not function here, which means I will never actually get back. It's just, and I kind of, I remember thinking, oh, I know how this man feels. Yeah. I remember you talking about that last summer when we met up and Yeah, yeah. And you know, we 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 were doing this shoot and you were talking about this film. I, at the time I didn't know which film it was that you were talking about. Hmm. Um it was only later that I realised it was nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Um and that the previous film was The Kelly Gang, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um but I mean, dude, you, you just seem to throw yourself into these these big roles and like and you throw yourself into every project that you do and clearly uh, I, I know from previous conversations that we've had that when you're doing something you're you're all about that project does that become I don't know a bit consuming for you or is that just your way of doing it I think that's well that's one thing I'm trying to learn you know is I'm getting blessed with you know the opportunity of work and and discovering a way of working that I find so thrilling but then by the same token I also would like a family and like, and, and I've got to be mindful of, you know, of, of, of not sort of cutting ties completely when you, when you, when, yeah, when you give your all to something and you kind of give your all and you uproot yourself. And that is, that is so amazing when you're in that bubble, but the sort of more you do it without, you know, you, you understand that those bubbles pop and the sort of, and, and it's kind of that catch, not catch 22, but just being mindful of, you know, when I've kind of, 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 of having something to, to come home to, you know, and, and, and just, and how, but how you can do that without it being a detriment to the work and how you can do the work without being a detriment to home, you know, and where you, and also that just shifts as you get older as well. Like my, my yearnings and responsibilities will, will, you know, shift with, with, with time and with, you know, my relationships and where it's, you know, also where I think, especially when I'm, I'm still young now, but like when you're really young, it was all that thing of like, I mean, myself and I, like, all I want to do is just learn how to act. Like, I just want this, you know, and it, and it sort of allows, allows you to kind of throw yourself in because you're completely free to do that. And then once you sort of learn the benefit of that sort of extreme mentality is then about kind of learning to try and find that without it, without it sort of costing you know, it, you, I guess your, your own life, because also your own life is it's you. Ultimately, it's it's an investment in other people's lives, but but you do that via yourself as well. So I think, as you say, like it's 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 not just a kind of not flippantly sort of that thing about uh, you know you've got to recharge or, or whatever, but just being mindful that that it's sort of like you you've yeah you've what you draw on is your own experience of the world and so therefore it's important to have an experience of the world in whatever it is and whatever you want it to be it doesn't have to be you know family or anything it can be whatever you need it to be but as i suss out what i want it to be for me um i think i've just got to be mindful of you know 
paying attention to that. Yeah, definitely. Like not just, for, but also not doing it for the purposes of making the work better. <laughs> you know, that that's yeah, yeah. Not, you know, not kind of like home's not a battery, you know, that you then go back and charge up and then leave it again. I think it's sort of, but again, I'm just, that's, I'm, I'm just, the older I get as well, I thought, I thought I had a very, I thought, I think I was most sussed about all of that stuff when I was about 12, you know, and I had a very ideal situation. I mean, you must find it like, you know, with, you know, you've, you've, you, cause you, cause you've got, you're so busy now in, in the work that you do in the breadth of work. And then also, you know, having a, a, a home life as well. You, I mean, yeah, totally. You- yeah. I, 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 I find it easier if I'm honest to, to focus mm. on work when I do have work. Whereas before I'd kind of be like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to do this, but I'm also trying to be at home. And then now I'm just, I guess I'm more present. So yeah. like when I'm in a job, um, I'm a hundred percent focused on that. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, when I'm at home, I'm a hundred percent focused on being at home. Um, and it's, and it's weird. It, it's taken me a little while to kind of, to be able to get that focus, I guess, and, and to learn how to do that. But definitely having, having a daughter, you know, that, that really helped me to, to get that focus. I was like, right, I just want to get home as soon as possible to be able to <laughs> spend time with her. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's interesting. You you were speaking about like earlier projects from when you were like eleven or twelve or whatever. Like, was that is that Peter Pan? Oh yeah, no. I I just meant so. I meant more sussed as in like you know I when I was twelve years old I was you know everything is sort of simple about my ideas of you know family everything you know. Oh, yeah. like, I think my sort of projection of a of a life was you know you just it's, it's without the intricacies of the understanding of being an adult you know yeah well you don't need um, to think about things like uh i don't know revenue generation or taxes when you're <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's kind of it's all kind of you know, and it can be now as well like it's also that thing of like i was uh, you know talking just today about like it, it important of i think it's important not to ignore the 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 sort of you know the the the, the, the nitty oh, sounds so flippant but kind of nitty gritty of life like all the, the tricky bits the, the hard bits the ugly bits but also to celebrate the good bits too like as much as rather than sort of I think sometimes there's either in in everything and like in in like there's almost like a satisfaction in pointing out I'm, I'm so wary of this because it's it, it's it's striking a balance between not letting anything go that that is that is not that is not fair or not right or um, not cutting corners in, in whatever in life or in your work, but then by the same token, celebrating the good bits too, like yeah. you know, and 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 paying as much attention to the to the positive, you know, as as, as anything else. And just but then that's just sussing out balance, isn't it? I think that's the main thing. Is the role I get is it's just sussing out balance. Yeah, um, I think it probably takes a lifetime to be honest. I don't think ever going to get there like hundred percent. Yeah, uh, I wonder if, like, if you if you did then whether you'd realise if you'd had it or not. You know, maybe yeah. that, uh, whether you'd say whether it would feel like balance or whether there'd be part of you that goes like, no, it's kind of, you know, I need to tip the scales here or something. Dude, I, I want to talk about your your early films as well because like, how much fun must that have been to be able to be in Peter Pan film when you're yeah like one of your earliest films, wasn't it? It was like first first film, yeah, first first, film. first everything, first audition, first. It was like it was unbelievable to be honest. We yeah we went. Um, there was a casting casting director called Shaheen Bay who came around my school and there wound up being three boys from my school who ended up being lost boys. But um, Shaheen was doing a search, I think, you know, in many schools and with many different actors and she was looking for lost boys and the darling children. I think the whole cast, I don't know if Jeremy Sumter who played Peter Pan was cast yet, but um, 
anyhow, yeah, we, we, we kind of all eventually got the part, but we went to Australia for, for eight and a half months. Um, awesome. To, to shoot this, to shoot this film and everything was built as well. That's the, the other thing that it's like, it was proper movie magic. Like there's rainforests, there's pirate ships, but everything was inside a sound studio. So like there was a there was a full size pirate ship on hydraulics and we were there at like ten and eleven oh, you know wow. we all the gear with kind of you know with face paint on and swords and bows and arrows and you know we had everything about it we we were so amazingly well looked after as well like you know the tutoring team you know because there were so many kids and my sister came out with me I went with my mum and my sister and a number of the kids came out with their siblings because it ended up being such a long time and. And so it, there was like a kind of small school of like all the kids and their, their families. And, you know, I remember there was, we, we got treated so beautifully, like they kept on just entertaining us with, we had one sort of semi pseudo, sort of, not pseudo, but semi sort of science experiment where they got one of the lighting cranes and they gave us an egg. We all got an, a raw egg um, and we could, pick then they laid out all these different items like bin bags string sellotape balloons um bubble wrap or something like that and then they said you can pick i think it was like three or four items so either string sellotape bin bag and bubble wrap and you need to make a device that will save this egg from cracking when we drop it from the top of that crane <laughs> just things like that wow. which was such a lovely thing yeah, i remember someone made like blew up all these balloons and then sellotape the egg inside of it so it was like a balloon ball that then got popped and they all popped but i think the egg then you know held on oh it was like but just stuff like that tell me you introduced that to sam on 1917 yeah it's like it's like a bonding exercise i got this great idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah it makes you think of cool runnings you know sanka with his lucky egg you know um but it's uh yeah, yeah, I would, but just that—that that is like as a first experience. Yeah, which is like, this is the most extraordinary thing ever, and it was so much fun that um, I came home and was like, "This is this is what I'd like to do." And so, through a friend, um, I was very lucky to be um, put it um, represented by his agent. She um, was a lady, lovely lady called Catherine Fleming, who um, uh, who represented me for a wee while. And I think I was also quite lucky with the way that it worked out, where so lucky that Catherine took me on because she looked after me so so beautifully and so kindly but also there was something in it was an adult agency so broadly the the things that were coming across her desk were more adult productions um i did a few kind of more children like kind of uh kids shows and things like that but but broadly it was kind of adult um projects uh that with the kids roles in it then I could go for an audition for and so I the the learning that I had sort of just by osmosis is you know when I worked sort of sparsely but consistently through school was from was being around adults and was being around people that I didn't realize at the time but would have had a process or would have had you know a family back at home and just sort of watching people behaving and on set and and working and living and being friends with them and genuinely friends with them, like, you know, being a kid and having genuine adult friends and sort of, I I, I don't know, there was so much of that time, which I think I learned a lot unconsciously about, about all sorts of things by um, just by hanging out with people and watching people do things that then when I left school and became consciously committed to, to trying to do this, would then kind of remember something that as a kid going, oh, I remember like this one actor, you know, before a scene used to jump around loads behind camera because he 
and he came in. I remember sort of laughing with one of the actors. Going, Why is he jumping up and down? Why is he doing that? Is he jumping? Look at him. Look, he's going to do the Jack in the Box thing. Like, <laughs> and then he'd go on and do the set. And just very simply, I was then like, oh, you know, in years later, it was like, oh, we filmed things out of order. And the scene before, which I'm not present for, he's making, he's running to get there. And so he's getting himself out of breath to do the scene. And just being like, oh, I know what that was now. And like just really simple, simple things like that. Or, you know, actors doing accents the whole time, finding it funny and then kind of going, oh, no, I guess, yeah, they're, they're sort of the lead role in this and they can't, they can't get their accent wrong. So they're just doing that. That's, that helps them. Okay, okay, that's what that was then. I just thought they were playing around or something like yeah so it's i was very lucky to kind of learn by osmosis i think with a lot of you know a lot of the um the the, the, the projects that i was a part of growing up yeah you kind of learned on the job i guess then didn't you yeah a lot yeah yeah a lot a lot of learning on the job and i, I auditioned at drum when i left I, I worked with um just after i left school i did a film a, a, sorry, a tv project called best of men um and it was starring eddie marzine who i just think some, the most amazing actor and the Incredible. most amazing professional and just the loveliest man. And I was really so taken by him and his work ethic. And uh, and he really appreciated his training. So then after working with him, I auditioned at, at Rada and Lambda um, and didn't get in. And so it was kind of like, that was a, in a way, you know, a good kick up the bum. I didn't sort of expect to get in, but it was also like, right, well, I, I, want, I went there to try and learn. So I'm going to now really actively learn with every, you know, if and when I get a job. And, uh, and so, so, yeah, so I was very lucky after that. To, um, it, it just opened my eyes and ears a bit more for every opportunity that came. And I think, to be honest, Private People came pretty soon after that. Yeah, I was, I was just trying to piece it together. It must have been. No, I think actually Private Peaceful came before because I remember um, I, I didn't work for, I think it was over a year after I left school. I was auditioning for things. And then I got a short film called The Devil's Dosh. And then I remember celebrating in the garden with, um, with one of my best friends from school because I found out about Private Peaceful, which I wanted more than anything. And, and I, I think that celebration came before the experience Best of Men. And also, I remember I had terrible acne as well from sort of from Best of Men for the next six years. And I didn't have acne when I did Private Peaceful. I remember sort of towards the end of the shoot going, and I'd never had spots other than being bigger. We've been going like, oh, a couple of these ones. I thought maybe I'm just... Maybe it's just all the mud from the trenches. And then I think it, those spots just developed and stuck around for about the next six years. So it was, um, yeah, so I think, I think Master Men came after. Because yeah. I definitely hadn't auditioned for drama school before because I remember speaking to some of the boys um, and, you know, and, and Alex Roach as well, one of the actresses on Private Peaceful about auditioning for drama school after working on Best of Men. Yeah, that's right, because there was a few of you, actually, that hadn't gone to drama school at that point, because Sam hadn't been either, I don't think. Uh, Sam, Sam was auditioning for RADA. God, now I'm getting confused, because I think we talked about the audition process. But maybe we talked to, yeah, Sam Frencham, who's an amazing actor, uh, um, who I believe wound up going to RADA, if I'm right. Well, um, yeah, I think so. But he'd, he'd auditioned, and uh, there's four rounds of auditions um, for RADA. And then you can do all four and still not get in. I think you, you can then, they make a decision after the fourth round and it sort of gets shorter and shorter as you go. And Sam had, I'd, I'd got through the first, I'd, I'd, they told me no after the second round, um, but Sam had got um, all the way to the fourth. Um, and so I was asking him about those secondary, those, those, those later auditions. Um, and I think he went and auditioned the next year and might have got in. Here's a short word from our sponsors. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the No Pressure Podcast with today's guest, actor George Mackay. It's it, it always fascinates me the the number of kind of roots that there are kind of into this industry because there there is no one defined what, a way to be an actor these days. And I think there is a misconception with a lot of young people, you know, growing up thinking, oh, I want to be an actor. That means I have to go to drama school or that means I have to do this or I have to do that. Um, but actually, the most important thing, presumably, is just a commitment and a passion to doing what you love doing and, and a willingness to kind of learn. Yeah. What's been your experience of how, how to kind of get on within this strange world that we both work within? I think the main thing is I've learned, I've been lucky, so, so, I, I've been lucky as well. I've been really, I mean that seriously, I've been very lucky. Um, but But I think there's... I've learned so much by doing um, and the doing can come in. I think as well, like it's kind of not quantifying doing as necessarily getting the job or, or doing the course, you know, the audition is doing. You know, I learned a lot about doing the, the auditioning for drama school because, you know, frankly, you get used to auditioning for film and TV and you you haven't, sometimes you don't have that much time to learn your lines and because of the nature of it being a, modern film you can paraphrase somewhat and then you go in and you're expected to do a two minute monologue in, of Shakespearean or Jacobean text and you're like you can't paraphrase that and you've got people marking you on whether you you know of whether you can't sort of just make that your own in a sort of language sense um, you sort of have to play by their rules and find your way of playing you know in that structure um, and that was a process in itself. That was a learning process and, or, you know, or even that sort of, it was a learning process to go back to drama school of, you know, you, you get a couple of takes sometimes with, with film and you sort of learn to perhaps part of the learning you sort of, you, you gain is like, okay, I can relax because I know that I've got a, a couple of goes. And that, then you sort of think that that's your understanding of how it works. And then you go into a situation where you kind of have one go and you realize that you are now, you know, you've, 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 you've got used to sort of expecting more kind of thing. So everything is a, I think if you can learn by doing, and that's the thing is there are so many ways to do, to do that it can be kind of a bit baffling where to begin. And I think if you can kind of start and commit to one and just, just kind of follow your nose with, with whichever path it you go down and another path will open up from it. And then they will, they will sort of, those paths will, will meet their natural ends. You will, sometimes you'll get the gig and the path will be that gig. And then other times you won't get it. And then the learning will be how to deal with that loss and be ready for the next one when it comes, the next opportunity comes up. Or, or if you've got a friend who's already, you know, got the, you, you're not getting auditions, but your friend is getting auditions, help them learn the lines, you know, discuss the text and, and uh, yeah, like help them do the tape. Um, whatever it is, watch stuff as well. Like, you know, I think there's, 
you know, watch loads of different, different types of work. So that's some of the thing that's really, that I've learned a lot from, um, that I was lucky for my parents as well, which is sort of now again, as an adult, you realize the blessing of what that was when you start paying for tickets yourself, but like uh, being taken to see lots of varied stuff and, and sometimes having jobs where, you know, they'll say, I, I, I want you to watch this guy. Like I had a, a, a job, uh, a project called Been So Long. It was a film that's on Netflix and, um, Tinge Krishnan, the, um, uh, the director, one of the biggest references for the character was Buster Keaton, but he's like this kind of, uh, sort of skunk smoking rude boy from Camden. Um, but he sort of moves like Buster Keaton. Um, and, and I'd, I'd never seen Buster Keaton before. And he was amazing. And that reference became so clear and strong and so sort of fundamental to the portrayal of this character. But it's kind of using sometimes maybe something that's a bit off the wall yeah. and just knowing Buster Keaton and Camden, you, you don't recognize Buster Keaton and Camden. So you can kind of like, you can kind of, that does so much work for you because it's already ingenuitive because you're sort of, you're in the, you're, you're kind of exploring the soul of one thing, but just doing it in the clothes of another. Yeah. And it, it turns it into something completely new. Yeah, you just got to be open to absolutely everything, because yeah. everything is an influence as an artist. Every, yeah, everything's an influence, and, and therefore, kind of go down every path that's offered as much as you know, as much as you can, and and, and they will sort of that that road will run out whenever whenever it has to, but but kind of keep 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 searching for it because I think yeah. you know because some of the time like a reference might come up. Yeah, just 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 kind of just trust in trust in what people offer you and and if it's not right then it's not right but it's yeah. no worse than not having gone down there that's uh, good advice Did, can you kind of pinpoint any times in your life or any people in your life that have kind of given you advice over the years as well because I, I mean you work with some incredible people like but you've also been around um some really influential people and i know your parents have been really influential to you as well in terms of their their mindset and their yeah their work ethic as well which i guess is one of the most important things. Yeah, well, my, my dad gave me a really amazing bit of advice. Um, when I was, was I mean, he, he has a lot. Both my parents have been really lucky, but, you know, but with, um, on 1917, I remember there's this one scene particularly, which we've been going over and over and over, and it's a particularly emotional scene. And I'd sort of set the idea of what I wanted to do before we did the scene. And I wasn't, and frankly, just wasn't getting there. And I sort of wasn't getting there because I'd had this idea of what I wanted to do beforehand. Um, and basically, and after a few days, we got the scene and Sam said it was all good and he was, he was happy with it. And I trusted that Sam, you know, wouldn't move on. But there was still part of me that was like, I don't know if I've got it. And I also don't have to sort of swallow the fact that I don't know if I'm going to get it. Like, cause I feel like I'm giving it everything, but it's not quite what I want it to be. And I was just like, I kind of was going home in a bit of a funk. And I called my dad up and was just like, I've just got to, I'm getting myself in a tiz. Um, and I don't really know how to move forward with this because it's in my head, it sort of feels a little bit incomplete. And Sam says it's okay. So, but there's part of me that doesn't believe that and I don't know whether to hang on to that feeling but it feels like the situation's past me even doing anything about it anyhow um and I don't know how to move forward without just simply caring less like this me this means that scene this whole thing everything it all means so much to me that I don't know how I can kind of function you know tomorrow without this just the only way I can do this is like for it to, I guess just for it to matter less to me 
And my dad said this lovely thing where he just went, no, 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 it's not about caring less. It's about trusting more. And I thought that was a really lovely thing about, he said, you know, if the people around you, uh, are, you know, who are okay to do it, are okay, mm. you know, they just trust that, you know, yeah. trust that sometimes and trust people and whatever it is, you know, trust that someone says, yeah, that's, that's all right. And it, it's not always about, it's not just about gratification, but it's just about trusting, trusting the folk that you're around or, or trusting a situation or trusting, yeah, this, that wasn't, that wasn't the right thing, but there'll be something else. Or, and rather than, rather than caring less and kind of, I don't know, my dad said it better than I can. I'm just sort of opening up necessarily. But, but that was a really good bit of advice, which has stuck with me. And then at Eddie Marzan, again, just kind of, just in passing one day, he was saying, um, he was talking about, like I, he'd, he'd asked for, I think what it, I can't remember how it came out, but there was one situation where he asked for, um, he asked for quiet on set while we were rehearsing and I was like not at all in a, in a um, grand way just because it was practical because it was there, was there was noise being made and to concentrate on the scene he just asked for politely asked for a wee bit quiet and I overheard him late, late, um, saying once that at some point in the day everyone is the most important person on set when it's you know when it's when you get picked up it's the it's the drivers and the transport team when you go through checks it's the makeup and hair when they're lighting a shot it's the sparks and the dop you know when um when they're dressing the set it's the art department so when you're rehearsing or when you're shooting that's your time and for that moment you're you know you're the most important person and so get out of the way and respect everyone else's job for the rest of it but also respect yourself enough to do what you need for that moment because it might be two minutes in a day it might be sort of eight lots of two minutes if you're there doing eight you know you get eight takes and you're in for one scene and each scene might be two minutes so it's not about making the whole day about yourself it's not about being unnecessary it's quite an economical pragmatic way of looking at it but it just a respect for himself was born out of a huge respect for everyone else and that I thought was really yeah. sort of simple and profound at the same time. Yeah, I love that. That that's really good to hear as well because I think we both have long been proponents of the fact that this is such a collaborative industry that yeah. we work in, and it you know really wouldn't exist without every single person being a part of it. Yeah. Uh, but that's such such a great way of putting it that everybody at some point in the day or at some point in the production is the most important person. Yeah. Yeah, that that's spot on, and I, and I really like that piece of advice as well about just trusting more. Yeah, I've certainly found like just being an artist, and but also because of that collaborative nature of working with a whole bunch of other people, that everyone's there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it it could just be the 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 thing that you're not quite feeling right about. Everybody else has got a has got it you know they're holding you they're supporting you um and actually that was i guess one of those situations where you kind of come away from it and go i'm not quite sure about this and i can't quite put my finger on it uh, but actually everybody else says it's okay so yeah yeah i'm just gonna have to kind of just let go a little bit and and trust in that um and that's a really valuable experience because i think if you went the other way with that you could quite easily kind of end up going in the direction where you're like no I have to do this again and I have to have 100% control over this and I need to you know and that that would just end up being I think ultimately you know it's not a very productive way to kind of work because it, it it's just 
I guess, kind of acknowledging that that you're the only important person within this, but actually that's not the case. It's, it's everybody huh. else involved there. Yeah, I think it's exactly, it's, it's tricky because you don't want to kind of dilute the pursuit of perfection, you know, which you mm. can never get to, but you don't want to dilute the pursuit of excellence or relevance. But oh, of course there is, so, no, but like, but then by the same token, as you say, like, if what, if what my hang up was, is like, I don't think that scene was good. You know, I don't think I did my job good enough for that, for the, for the whole film. And if you got like everyone else kind of going, no, it's, it's, that's, that's it. It's fine. You know, if, if, if I don't, if I, if I don't trust that, then the only thing that's still there is my personal hang up. Mm. Um, and that's, and, and that's, that can sometimes motivate. And it's trying to then twist that into like motivating using that to motivate something positive of like if, if you kind of if you can't dispute that lack of trust in yourself or you can't you can't help that feeling don't don't go backwards with it like don't kind of gnaw into that the, the root of it twist it to inspire right and i'm really i'm going to get up early tomorrow whatever it is like i'm gonna i'm gonna work i'm gonna work harder tomorrow because what it was what the, and, and also maybe identifying it in your head as well of like kind of what is it is it is it that i feel in my heart that I didn't work hard enough okay then i'll I'll work harder tomorrow or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we can go down a rabbit hole of stuff, but I don't know, just simply trusting in others. Um, yeah. It's, it's so, it's so important because it's a bit like Eddie's advice. If you respect others, you respect yourself because yeah. you, you, you know, and, and if you, if you trust others, you trust yourself. Um, and that's, that's sort of a good premise for, for working together. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Dude, I, I've got to say, I'm going to change the subject slightly, but Ned Kelly, I loved it. And that was the last oh, thing I saw you in. Um, and, we, got, um, we got our Thai food beforehand. Yeah, yeah. What we should have done afterwards was to, uh, well, I should have got you to, um, you and the band to reunite. I didn't realise you guys were kind of gigging around the place as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, yeah. We, so yeah, for Justin for the yeah for this film for anyone who hasn't seen it is you know this this film true history of the kelly gang and it's about an australian outlaw ned kelly and there was this gang of four of them ned his best mate joe Byrne, his brother dan kelly and his best mate steve hart and the four of them these young outlaws and that's the other thing how young they were which i didn't really when i first heard about ned kelly my dad's australian i sort of knew of the legend and in australia he's a legend but he also has a beard down to his chest and so he's sort of when you have like a beard that size, a legendary status, you assume you're like mid forties at least. <laughs> he was 25. Um, and, and all of these boys, and he was the eldest of the gang, I think. Um, certainly I think Steve Hart was only 18 or something. Dan Kelly was 18. Um, and so Justin, the director was like, and I think in Australia, there's been loads of films and art made about them. And I think oftentimes because the legend is so revered that people are scared to touch it and mess with it. Um, and Jagger did it, didn't he? Jagger did it, and Heath Ledger yeah. did it. Um, I mean, there's some amazing art, like the Sydney Nolan paintings, and I think Ned Kelly was the first ever narrative moving film. Really? Yeah, there's like a black and white version of, you know, kind of. Yeah. Because because there's that amazing image, you know, which he really did, and you can see his armor. They kind of the gang made this bulletproof armor and took on the cops in their sort of last stand. Um, but but anyway, we're like with the. With this young gang, Justin, when he said, "Well, our version of it, I don't. I want to make it in the spirit of these guys, um, right? More than anything." And I think they're these punk, young punks. You know, they're punks from the eighteen hundreds. So that's oh, it's, it's so raw. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, like, it was pretty out there. Like, yeah, I don't know. all the references were 
he gave me this amazing list of Aussie cinema and Aussie music and a lot of Aussie punk music. And I think there's, you know, there's this kind of real wrestle for identity with, you know, with, with, with Australians because, because it's such a sort of, it's such a young country with such a dark history mm. um, and a history that kind of before, before the sort of colonial Australians landed you know, kind of landed. There's obviously those people come from generations beforehand. It's that mismatch of cultures on top of a culture. And then, you know, all of that stuff together is this kind of wrestling for, for a modern identity, which I think is sort of, you know, which Justin was kind of keen to explore. And I think there's a lot of that in punk music, like, you know, like sort of yeah, you know, sure. anarchy against the system, um, this youth, you know, uh, and that's what, that's what he wanted. So we formed a band and, and we performed a gig for rehearsals in a bar in Melbourne. And, um, and we actually, I think we're going to, I don't know, there's like, I think, well, we recorded, we recorded um, the album at the end of, of the, the day after the final day as like a last thing. So oh, nice. we'll if it will ever have legs beyond that. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Send us a track, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so did that come about quite organically or was it Justin who suggested it or did you guys just go, sorry, let's, let's do this. That was Justin. That's Justin's brilliance. I think the director for understand for kind of giving again, it's like, it's like putting Buster Keaton in Camden. I think if yeah. you give the context and the truth that you understand that is one color and you sort of then put that on top of a, another, you know, you get, you get put blue and yellow and you get green kind of thing. You sort of have these two things and then it kind of creates this other, they merge into something new. Um, and he sort of has that in his, his direction of, of, you know, it's, it's, it's all about subtext, you know, like he'll, I remember in the audition, he, there was a scene between me and my mum and there's this kind of, for, for Ned, at least in our version of the story, Ned and his mum, that, that's the greatest love of his life. You know, that's his, they're soulmates, I think. And there's this whole thing about the brutality that he had as a young boy, which forced him to be a man, sort of forever made him a child. And therefore the relationship with his mother is murky and it's never kind of named and it's not overtly sexual, but there is a sort of Oedipal commitment and love for her and, and in turn for each other because she's he's sort of become her, his mother's husband in a way he's he's his mother's man mm. uh, which in, and because because of that commitment he never fully leaves her and if you never leave your mother then you're forever a boy you know so it's that kind of it's all of that in, entwined and I think and, and Justin in, in the audition I, I before I sort of understood any of that stuff there was this scene, the first scene I read, read for him with was this conversation between him and his mum after Ned's been away for a long time. And uh, he just, the first reading, he just went, no, 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 no. Okay, just put, put it down. And, um, and I was reading opposite this woman and he said, just, just tell her everything that you think is beautiful about her. Just as you, just gen truly, just, you know, just, just look at her and, and say everything that you think is most beautiful. And so I, I did, I, I talked about her eyes and her lips and her neck and, and it sort of drops you into a zone that's kind of quite, you know, vulnerable. Um, I really told this woman sort of how I, how I felt. And then he was like, okay, now play the scene like you're on a first date. You guys, it's just you two. And you're sort of sussing each other out as to like, what could this mean here? What's that? Like, are you trying to like trick me? Is that a nice trick? Is that a bad trick? What, like, am I going to give you a lot? Am I going to give you too much? What's, what's not enough? What's, you know, what are we doing here? And it became this little sort of tennis match of flirtation. And that was the scene. That was the truth of the relationship of these people who are each other's soulmates. But then when you suck on the labels mother and son, it turns it into something completely different. And I think therefore for the band, that's what he was. He was like, if we, if we, if we act like a punk band, if you have the kind of uh, unconscious 
listening to each other that comes with playing music together. If you have the swagger and sort of anarchy of that type of music and that aggression of making something that is personal to you, that only you understand, that you only know the lyrics to those songs and you've made them, and then you never mention it and you put us on horses, then it's sort of, you kind of feel that even though it's not there. And it's like, that, that's just the brilliance of Justin's understanding of an inner life in terms of then what you slap on top of that. Yeah, wonderful, like a band of brothers type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was, yeah, it was great because we did, like we were, we sort of like, it gave us a task that bonded us, you know, and day two of meeting each other, we're like, okay, well, here's this poem. Do you want to try these lyrics? Like, you know, this is, and then who, and you, you learn to share and you learn to listen. And then, then you sort of start to grow with it. And you're like, yeah, I think, I think, I think our songs are great. <laughs> like, I think, I think, you know, I think we're missing a trick here. I think we should be a punk sensation. I, I don't know. But like you, and then you just, you walk on with the sort of like the swagger and excitement of having played a gig. Yeah. Man. You know, a were, gig were, you, were you front man? Were you, Vocalist. Uh, we, it was quite. It was pretty shared, to be honest. I think for 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 a bunch of the songs, I wound up singing. I think because we sort of fell into the dynamics of the gang, or we yeah. they're a very mutual gang, but ultimately led by by Ned. Um, and so that was sort of reflected in the music, I think. But um, yeah, do you, do you play I, guitar or do you play? Yeah, I play play a bit of guitar. I haven't played much in a while, but that was also just a lovely thing. Is playing music again. It's really yeah. it's really fun and. But like Sean and Louis and Earl brought some amazing songs. And um, yeah, because yeah. Earl's like obviously from musical dynasty, really, isn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that was, you know, and, and that was like some of the references for the tone and the vibe of, 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 of that is, is, you know, is from Earl's, Earl's dad's early music, not just Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but The Birthday Party. Mm. Amazing band. And one of the, one of the films that um, Justin wanted me to watch was a documentary about the guitarist for the birthday party, Roland S. Howard, um, that called Autoluminescence. And it's just that thing of this pioneering punk scene. And it's that, that kind of Melbourne, like Melbourne had a really cool punk scene. Melbourne's a real sort of muso city. I think yeah. like it really, um, yeah, there's, there's an amazing scene there. Um, and, uh, and it's this kind of this new breed of, of this kind of, of, of Australians at this generation kind of going, well, who am I? What am I? And he, I think Justin wanted that inserted into the 1800s because we sort of assumed, because we look back on it, that it was this sort of, uh, like, you know, I think a lot of history, you kind of assume it was this uh, rather delicate sort of antiquated time, but it was a hard life. Like it was hard. Like every, everything you lived in, you built, everything you ate, you caught. Like it's that sort of, so these boys would have been tough. And I think there was a toughness. I think Justin also, all of us boys are quite soft, really. And I think he, again, that was, I think he, he liked the idea of exploring this. Ned Kelly is particularly as a sort of image of, of, of masculinity and quite, not a standard image of masculinity, but he has the sort of um, accepted tropes of, you know, of, of a broad-shouldered, you know, practical masculine man you know sort yeah, yeah. Of, and and i think again in the same way that justin put that flirtation underneath the scene with mother and son i think if he put if he puts a brutal exterior on a bunch of boys and all of us are quite sensitive <laughs> then, you know then hopefully you get that kind of vulnerability inside the brutal doings of yeah that, that totally came through man i, th I thought it was an excellent piece of, of filmmaking so yeah Cheers. Oh, well it, it means a lot it means a lot to all of us because because everyone just threw themselves at it you know yeah it was really, really special that, time. That seems to 
be what you do though man like and it works it's brilliant okay. I'm, I'm, I'm loving seeing the projects that you're picking up and the, the stuff that you it's sort of always such interesting work that you've been doing i love captain fantastic as well i thought that was a, a great piece oh, it is. Uh, yeah it must be so funny like i remember what when i first watched that like i, I remember like the reading and the doing of it for me was sort of i think arrogant and rather sort of bow-centric i was like for me this is a coming of age story with this young man who's sort of you know working himself out and what he needs to sort of when he needs to spread his wings and but also in respect of what he's learned and that all sort of made sense to me and then I watched it and then I was like, this is just about parenthood, of course. <laughs> and you go like, well, yeah, because Matt, the writer is, you know, he's got his family and, and, and it's just sort of like, I can't believe that sort of my arrogance just, you know, clouded everything of like, of course I saw what the film was, but never to that extent about, you know, how to, the, the rights and wrongs of how to, how to raise your kids and what is, what's too far one way, what's too far the other way, what's ideal, what's not, what's, and how context changes all of those things too, you know? So it's, I think it's a, yeah, I was, it was a very healthy time, that one. Yeah, yeah, it, look, it looked, I mean, it was brilliant. Dude, so, I mean, what's next? I mean, you, you said you've got a project that you're hoping to pick up on. I'm not sure whether you're allowed to talk about it or not, but... Well, it's, it's a film, I, 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 can't, I can't say too, too much, but it's a film um, called Wolf, um, written and directed by Natalie Biancelli. Um, I think I'm saying that right. I sort of kind of half kind of went towards the Italian accent then, but... Um, <laughs> Natalie's um, an Italian um, director who did a beautiful film called Nocturnal. Um, and uh, this is a film that she's written um, and we're going we're gonna to film uh, in Ireland. And it's, it's about, um, yeah, I, I, I get, to be honest, I don't know how much I can say right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't think it's, but it's, um, it's, I think it's announced and stuff, but it's a film called Wolf. And um, it's, yeah, and it's by Natalie Biancherry. And I'm really excited to, you know to be to be taking part in it and to be you know touch wood moving forward with it as soon as everything lifts but yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm i'm thrilled we've been we've been talking a lot uh, sort of throughout this lockdown period so it's kind of been percolating um i think i'm just saying that because i've had a coffee it's been brilliant um all just coffee related metaphors yeah. um but yeah so so that's I, as i said i'm sort of reticent to sort of say too much in case because oh, no, i don't no, know what things are but it's i'm really looking forward to it and i think it's um yeah it's a really intriguing wee project i think it's cool yeah and it sounds like you've um well you're kind of, kind of ready to kind of chomping at the bit bit to get back onto a set again yeah yeah i, I feel like I, i'm looking forward to start getting start start working again start being practiced in it you know i yeah. feel in a way with the press I've, I've, I've talked about it a lot and, and sometimes sort of fear that you know, I'm getting, getting practiced in talking about it. <laughs> you kind of got to put your money where your mouth is. You sort of like, you know, you talk about process and choices and, you know, what it is. And it's been a wee while since I've done all that. So I think I need to kind of stop talking and start doing with it a little bit again. You yeah. know, so, um, yeah, but so I'm really, I'm really looking, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's, I'm really excited about, you know, about the, the process and the prospect of the film and, and working with Natalie and all of the team. So yeah, I think it would be cool. Yeah, wicked, man. Um, listen, I've, I've taken up enough of your time already, but, you know, no, just, no. W I, I've got one more question for you, which is, um, which I should have really tagged up onto the end of our music question, but... Yeah. Um, so I've asked a few people this, uh, and I guess it kind of changes depending on the project that you're working on, but is there, like, a, a go-to track or album or piece of music that you kind of listen to... to 
um, get yourself kind of psyched up for I don't know, going on set or going on stage? It always changes. I've usually got a playlist to go with with each. Oh, do, each do you make a playlist for each yeah. project? Yeah, yeah, as they come along. Yeah, like songs, certain songs, which often just sort of I find sometimes you search them out and. That's always quite a good thing of like you sort of run out of feeling like you want to carry on doing some work on it, but you don't really know what else to do. Like, right, I'll, I'll make a playlist now. Yeah, yeah. There'll be songs from the from the script, or there'll be songs that you hear at the time. Some songs like you know really just. I remember when I was doing Best of Men. Um, I was we filmed it in Bristol. I remember getting in the car and on Radio One first aid kit. Um, I had that song The Lions Roar, and I'd never heard it. I was like, this is great. And then the next sort of, I think it was one of the next projects that I worked on was a film, How I Live Now. And that song was my song for that, for that project. It just sort of seemed, because it was a mixture of like in my mind, it was a sort of fortuitous listening. And then also, you know, the, the, the sentiment of the song and, and the way it made me feel. I, it changes every time. Like I listen to a lot of, um, a mixture of Aussie punk and then a lot of, Irish kind of like a lot of the Dubliners, a lot of Luke Kelly for Ned Kelly as well, because initially we we're going to play him Irish because he would have been his kind of his Irish culture was a huge part of who he was. And it was only Justin's kind of wanting to do a modern a contemporary interpretation of who these men were that he, that we committed to the Aussie accents for our generation. Yeah. Because, you know, probably they would have had an Irish brogue or, it, you know, Australia at that point was a hodgepodge of, you know, all different accents from all the different colonies coming across and, um, people from the, you know, from from Scotland, from Ireland, from Wales, from England, all you know, all, which all have various accents within them already. And I think you know, the, and then it probably would have been the very beginnings of the development of what we now know as an Australian accent. And, mm. and, and I think I think it was Peter Weir who did the film with Heath Ledger, and I think he, that was very true to to how it would have been. Ned was Irish, and also that was a lot of which I, I think probably we moved away from in our version of it uh, of of the story, but. Um, but you had an Australian uh, accent in that, didn't you? And we had an Australian accent, but I think a lot of what Ned in reality was railing against was the oppression of the of the Irish people from kind of broadly um, English Protestant and Victoria Police, I believe, if I'm getting my history right. Um, and it was that sort of dis- discrepancy that that sort of, that was what he was railing against, this, you know, the, the oppression on his family, that so much of it was because of his Irish culture. Um, and so for a long time, that... I went, you know, part of the research, I went to Ireland, I went to where his, his dad was arrested in Tipperary um, in Cashel and put on a boat to Australia. And that's, and his mother was from the borders of, I can't remember exactly where it is, but I think it's the, it's within the Republic, but it's the borders of the North. It's the North of the Republic his mum would have been from. And she came across as a free settler, but um, with her family, um, Ellen Kelly. And so the, the Irishness is a huge part of who he is. And then when we sort of let go of that, up to that point, I've been doing a lot of, you know, I just listen. I just also love the kind of the raw, there's a very masculine emotion, I think, in the way that Luke Kelly sings. There's a very, it's very strong and very grounded, very raw, very funny, very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and very beautiful as well. Um, and how Luke Kelly sings. And that was kind of like for a long time. That's that was a huge part of who I wanted sort of Ned to be, in a sense, is that kind of command um, yeah. and wit and all that kind of stuff. And then it sort of, you know, bled into a bit more of a kind of sort of I don't know 
sort of punky Australian stringy fella. But well, man, yeah. you you have Australian heritage on your side as well, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So we had that, and you know, there's all kind of yeah. There's there's yeah. My dad's Australian, so you know. But yeah, but so, had, so there was that, and then there was a bunch of classical music for for 1917 um, versions of Wayfaring Stranger when that was that was in the script, and, yeah. and then there was another which I don't know if it's right to say, but there was some other music which was once noted, cited in the script which didn't make it into the final film. But again, that, although it wasn't in the final film, having known about that, sure. the earlier process, that became a, and, and it was in a similar, a similar vein, you know, it was just a question of um, the, the, the piece of music itself. But, but that in itself opens, you kind of, you go down that path of then for, for a while, it's not just that song, but it's like, by that artist and the beauty of Spotify now is that so much of it's done for you. You start listening to that song and then you've got 10 songs yeah, on yeah. the so you might like to listen to this. Well dude um, I might hit you up for some of these songs to create like a Spotify playlist for the for the podcast which would be cool. Right. Yeah 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 uh, yeah we'll work work through some uh, yeah and put them together. That'd be great. Awesome dude. Um, and listen thanks so much again for your time. I'm no really, not at all really thanks for this. I feel like something, I feel it's been a bit one sided. I feel I've just been talking, talking, talking my end but no one wants to hear about me. It's all good. No, no, no. Thank you. It's been sort of a bit of a, yeah, memory. But, th- but thank you very much. It's, uh, it's really Thank you, yeah. mate. Yeah. And all the best. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch again soon, I'm sure. Aye. Aye, yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, dude. All right, man. Well, seriously, thanks for having me. And yeah, we'll just, we'll, let's speak on the phone in a wee while and, and, and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for listening to the No Pressure Podcast. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review wherever you're listening. And please subscribe to hear more. Curtain Call is a marketplace for professionals working in events and entertainment. You can follow us on at Curtain Call or find us online at curtaincallonline.com. We are proud members of the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.